You're listening to the Fit Mind, Fit Body podcast, where we explore the connection between a fit body and positive mental health. And our big mission, it's to help 10,000 runners to develop fitter minds in the next two years. I'm your host, Michelle Frost. Let's get moving. Welcome to this episode of the Fit Mind Fit Body Podcast, where we talk to Holly Ranson. And Holly shares with us her journey from a young aspiring sailor right through to being a triathlete and a cyclist, and now into an ultra distance runner. And all of those things she's done very well at. Not only that, she has also been a journalist, a dietitian, and a professional firefighter. And she's currently studying for her master's. I say it through the podcast, but really it makes me tired just thinking of all of the things that Holly fits into a day. Enjoy. Today on Fit Mind, Fit Body, I am absolutely delighted to introduce you all to Holly Ransom. You may already know her, but I'm excited to talk to her because it's been, I don't know, maybe feels like 15 years, but it can't be that long. Holly, has it been that long since I've seen you in person? Oh, it's at least 10, Michelle, I'd say. A long time. So Holly, I'm just so excited to talk to you, like, and <laughs> see your lovely face and yeah, I just think you're awesome. Um, yeah, you're one of those people who's really easy to talk to. And so I'm, of course, very happy to be able to talk to you on the podcast and share some of your story with everyone because it's pretty inspirational, I think. So thanks for oh, saying yes. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's my very first podcast. So I'm really excited. And I've listened to so many of your podcasts and really enjoyed the trip down memory lane, listening to all the people that I used to run against at LAC. And I love it. So I'm pretty happy to be here. That's I, I would never have guessed that it would be your first podcast. Just because of who you are and like your background and the little, little bits I know. I'm like, oh, I'm sure Holly's been on a podcast or two. No, never. This is the very first one. You're a podcast virgin. I suppose. I <laughs> <laughs> Not listening to them though. I listen to podcasts every day. I love them. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's awesome. All right. So there will be some people who listen to the podcast who may not have met you. So mm-hmm. let's start from, well, the very beginning. Where'd you grow up, Holly? Well, I grew up in Launceston, <laughs> uh, in Trevallon, um, to be specific. Yeah. Um, and I was there until I was 17. And then mm-hmm. I moved to Queensland to pursue my dream of sailing in the Olympics. Sailing. <laughs> yeah, sailing. But uh, that only lasted a year before I was back in Tassie, spent another few years there, and then moved over to Adelaide for a few years followed by the Gold Coast of Brisbane and then up to Darwin and now I'm back in South Australia. <laughs> so you're just like kind of moving around, well, generally the East Coast and a bit North, I suppose. You wouldn't say Darwin is East Coast at all or actually yeah. you wouldn't say Adelaide is either. So uh, <laughs> just that <laughs> just kind of around. eastern side of Australia if you were to put a line between Adelaide and <laughs> That's it. I've got, I've got to go and live in Western Australia so I can complete the set. Although I haven't lived in Victoria either, but I have no desire to do that. You're very close to Victoria, whether you're in Tasmania yes. or, or, or South Australia. You kind of feel that's like true. We're only an hour and a half, from, well, about half an hour from the border of Victoria, and an hour and a half from Mildura, which is the first city you come to in oh. Victoria. 
I did not know. I didn't know it was that close. No, there you go. Two mil Duat because I've got family there. Anyway. There you go. Um, So let's go all the way back to Trevallon. What was school like for you when it came to sport? I wasn't a sporty kid at school. I don't know if you can believe that. I sailed all through my youth. So I started when I was about six and sailed up until I was 18. But um, I always enjoyed sport and I did your team sport like at, um, I went to Scotch Open and we had to yep. do sport yep. at school so I did netball and soccer um, and that was pretty much it I didn't run um, yeah I, I never grew up doing any kind of uh, endurance sport at all. Wow do you remember what you thought when you had to run because I assume just like most schools at Scotch Oakburn it was like you have to go in the cross country and you have to uh, you have to run in the um carnival or whatever whatever we call them the sports carnival yeah I didn't mind it too much especially the cross country I was okay nothing special um I didn't like athletics at all um but yeah it was just one of those things you had to do I suppose for your sailing like when you were younger did you do anything to stay fit because sailing that's more of a summer thing especially in Tasmania yeah it is uh, when I got really serious about it when I was a teenager, I did start to do a bit of gym work mm-hmm. and I built uh, what they call a hiking bench, which simulates uh, the way that you keep a dinghy flat is to lean your body out. So it requires a lot of core strength and a lot of quad strength. Oh, wow. um, and you can build a sort of simulator that you can put in your lounge room. And I would just sit on that and watch the TV and, and hike out. <laughs> That sounds like it would have been very interesting when people were like delivering pizzas and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. What is that thing? But uh, yeah, I think like people who have any kind of exercise equipment in their house, it gets used for a few weeks and then it goes into the storeroom and and never gets brought out again. Yeah, that's so sad. They all go to a place to die, don't they? They do. Home (laughs) exercise equipment. Absolutely. A bit like socks and pens and scissors and things. But anyway, <laughs> although it's not, we want those, we don't necessarily want the home exercise equipment. Like we, not after we the want first the, bit. Yeah, no. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so do you have siblings? I don't. I don't know if you have siblings. Yeah, I just have one younger sister who's two years younger than me. And is she very sporty? No, she was a dancer when we were growing up. So she was into ballet and yeah. jazz and. Um, all those different types of dancing and she actually uh, went to the Houston Ballet she was in um, the secondary company you know the uh, young dancers are kind of aspiring to be in the professional uh, company but unfortunately she got injured and never made it as a dancer so that's fascinating though that both of you um, have you know pursued some sort of physical endeavor it doesn't, mm. you know, fitness into, I don't know, what do we call it? Physical endeavor, like a professional, um, you know, in those, in some kind of sport, I suppose. It, it really is. Ballet sport, I yeah. I, you know, activity, it's creative, yeah. artsy. Very, very physical. Um, mm. Yeah. And yeah. our cousins, some of our cousins are really into sport as well, but all really different things. I've got one cousin who is a power lifter. Um, one who is one of Australia's highest ranking parkour um, athletes and another one who's into kickboxing. So, yeah. Wow, I wonder where that (laughs) comes from in your family. That's really nice. (laughs) It's really odd. (laughs) What about your parents? Did they, like, demonstrate to you a desire to do more than 
you know, when, when I was growing up, your parents, if they did anything that was physical, it might be, um, well, my dad played golf a little mm. bit and occasionally played cricket, but not, you know, that was about it. And I don't think mum did anything apart. She was always physical, but she didn't do anything organized physical or go out for a run just for the sake of it. What about your parents? Yeah, no, mum always has walked with her friends as her social um, outings, but never anything more than that since I remember. She did used to sail before I was born. She used to sail with dad and dad's always been a sailor. He would sail a little bit um, when I was sailing, but usually he was so busy doing the organising side of things that um, he didn't sail very much, but he was a very keen and talented sailor before I was born, he um, went to world championships and had a, a second at the world championships. So that's um, that's who I took after. Do you still do any sailing now? Just out of I do actually. I didn't do it for about 10 years. And then when I moved to Darwin, I saw boats out on the water and in Darwin, you really want to get into the water because it's so hot, but you can't because of the crocodiles and the jellyfish. So sailing seemed like the next best option. And I bought myself a secondhand boat and got back into it. And um, now I've brought the, the boat down here to South Australia and oh, wow. still sail pretty much every weekend in the summer. So for those who are playing at home and understand, what kind of boat is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's called a laser. So it's a 14 foot long fiberglass dinghy. It's just sailed by one person and it has only one sail. Um, it's a very simple boat to sail. It's called a one design because all the boats are exactly the same. So it really comes down to the sailor's mm-hmm. ability. Um, and it's what they sail in the Olympics. So they have okay. different size of sail, a bigger one for the men and a slightly smaller one for the women. Oh, that's so cool. Well, my mm-hmm. my little tiny sailing story was I, I lived in Sydney during the Olympics and oh, we wow. had tickets to go to see the sailing. And the weather was really bad. And so we didn't get, so we just got a little tour on the boat. They still put you on the boat to go and have the tour around the harbour. So we did that. So the weather wasn't so bad. We couldn't do the tour, but it was bad enough that we couldn't be watching the sailing. And the next day when the sailing came on, Australia won gold. Oh, wow. (laughs) And you missed it. it. (laughs) Oh, that sucks. No. (laughs) Happy, but no. Anyway. that's my sailing story Um, (laughs) yeah any kind of competitive sailing anyway I love the water that's it's very cool that you do that um so when you left school what did you do I mean obviously you you talked about sailing and and you know exploring the professional side of that was that the first thing that you did when you left year 12 Well, I actually did that in year 12. So I was so in such a hurry to get going and get started with things. Um, I went up to Queensland and I finished my schooling by distance education. Um, So I had five subjects, I think, through five different colleges in in Tassie. So all around Tassie, they do this open learning thing. Um, And so I studied on my own and finished finished on my own while I was sailing and working by myself in Queensland. Wow. And how was that? What was that like to go like, cause you would have been 17, did you say? So. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it was scary being out of home for the first time and having to, to do so much on my own, organize the sailing, drive myself to different regattas, tow the trailer, um, you know, and it was stressful because I was trying to study as well as work to earn a living mm. and also trying to, 
um, be on the water and in the gym and doing all the things wow. I needed to do for sport as well. So, um, yeah, it was a big year and that's probably why it didn't pan out in the end. Because you were everything. You were being your your own parent. <laughs> and you know, we all know what it's like to to drive in a new place, let alone like a big city when you come from a smaller place and, and you put a trailer on the back. Yeah, and no, I was on my P's. I think I'd only just got my license. Yeah. So, yeah, it's wow. crazy. Well, yeah. I was very brave anyway, I think. Yeah, yeah, I guess it did set me up. You know, it taught me a lot of life lessons and a lot of resilience mm. that has carried through. Yeah. So what did you do when you come back to Tasmania, when you came back to Tasmania when you were 18? Well, initially I had a job at the supermarket working yep. in the deli and that was going to be my plan to save up and then um, maybe go back to Queensland. I was planning to study a uh, degree in journalism at UQ, actually. Uh-huh. Um, but then I ended up getting a cadetship at the examiner. So instead of going to study journalism, I basically did an apprenticeship there. Wow. Do they still do cadetships in journalism? I don't know. Yeah. I absolutely don't know. Yeah. I just wanted, just because it seems like a lot of those kind of, you know, where you learn on the job mm-hmm. have gone the <laughs> gone by the wayside a bit, unless you're in a trade yeah. or something like that. You know, like a, yeah, you know, I don't know. It maybe has has gone. Yeah, I didn't know. So, so you started a cadetship in the local mm-hmm. paper. For those of you who don't know, the Examiner is a local yes. paper here. Um, but. The, yeah, how was that? How long did you complete that? I don't know. Yeah, I did. I think <laughs> I stayed for nearly four years or three years. Yeah. Um, and I did a bit of writing. I did the column for the running and the sailing and bits and pieces and um, was involved as the media officer for the Three Peaks race as well, which is a sailing and running race, which I think has been mentioned on your podcast before. It has. <laughs> it's one of my favourite from from my starting running career, my younger running career. It was one of my favourite events. I did that three or four yeah. times. I loved it. it was so it's good. It's an amazing race. Yeah, so good. Oh, so, um, so you're doing journalism. Were you doing any kind of sport on the side then? That's when I started to get into endurance sport, actually. I think I gave up sailing because I was doing a lot of shift work and working on the weekends, and mm-hmm. that's when you sail. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, it's not that much fun to go out in the middle of the week by yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, And, you know, I guess I was paying my own way by that stage and boats are not cheap. <laughs> so, um, I think how did I get into it? I think I probably started into running through Jono Claridge, previous guest on your podcast. And then we happened to be living next door to Dave Herbig and he then dragged me into triathlon essentially. So I him too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That was, um, yeah, that was where it started. I think triathlon started about the same time as my journalist career. Oh, wow. And did you find, like we often talk on the podcast when people stay studying and and um, running, because this is the podcast about running, but <laughs> any kind of sporting endeavor really, but uh, that when you're doing that physical exercise, it actually helps in your, well, study. And I imagine to me, journalism feels a bit like you're just always studying because you're always learning about something new and then you're having to digest it and through your you know your, your brain your mind and then it comes out in the pen or typewriter or computer uh, so you're, <laughs> you're having to di- you know read information and then interpret it for other people mm. or going to a situation and interpreting it for other people to put it in a written form right so that feels a bit like school so <laughs> 
do you, do you feel like your running and your triathlon training things supported that you know because you, you, I suppose it's using your mind to try and mm. a really long way around to ask that question <laughs> yeah absolutely I've always found that and I think that's been one of the things that's really kept me in sport is that it makes me focus so much better. And I remember when I was um, working at the examiner, I would leave the office at lunchtime and I would run out to the tail race and run back and have a quick bite to eat in a shower and then go back to my desk. And you just feel so refreshed and like you can really focus and concentrate again. Whereas when you sit in the office all day or study all day or whatever you're doing, staring at the computer screen for so many hours, um, there's only so long you can concentrate and yeah, exercising is such a good way to break it up and get that blood flowing back to the brain, I think. Yeah, yeah, totally. I love that. Um, all right, so you started triathlon. Tell me, hmm. tell me a bit about your triathlon story. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like most things, I probably went from zero to a hundred um <laughs> in the first week. I I just got hooked on it like most people do and especially in Launceston the triathlon community is just so beautiful and the same as the running community Mm. Um, people are so supportive Um, there's always someone to train with to help you out Um, and I just started doing the little sprint distance events as you do with the Launceston Triathlon Club and then um, progressed I think I did the Olympic distance at Bridport uh, a few times mm-hmm. um, and then set my sights on some longer things and uh, ended up going to the ITU long course world championships in Las Vegas in mm. 2011 and um, to get there I did a lot of fundraising so I called on all those supportive mm-hmm. people to come to trivia nights and auctions and whatever else and actually raised the money to get there so um, yeah that was probably the the peak of my triathlon career in Tassie and then um, moved to Adelaide and continued on um, and actually got my professional license in about 2013 Um, so did a couple of years racing as a pro on the half Ironman circuit around Australia um, which was amazing Um, I got a couple of podiums but I ended up um, suffering from a lot of injuries, including a few stress fractures, mm-hmm. which um, really just took a toll and took so long to recover from mm-hmm. um, that, uh, yeah, put put that on the back burner and moved out of triathlon from then. How did you find, well, how do you find, you've always been competing. It probably seems like a silly question, but, you know, and again, on the podcast, we talk about this a lot, mostly because this is therapy for me. Um <laughs> So I get really quite nervous um, even before events, which is silly because I've done, you know, loads of them running events. Um, But then when I think about you guys who have got so much more on the line, you know, you've trained, like seriously trained, not just what, you know, the weekend warriors do so much. Um, And then, you know, you said professional. So you're training for and you're racing for a team and for, you know, for an organization, a group or whatever you, you call it. And then at, you know, other levels you're you're racing for your state or your country or your whatever. How do you how do you deal with all that kind of pressure? How does that work? Uh, you still get nervous. <laughs> well I do anyway. Um and I think it's a, a lot the pressure you put on yourself because it's not coming from anywhere else really. Um even when you are racing for a team um or a sponsor usually they're they're pretty cool with things you know they just want you to go in there and do your best and 
I think sponsorship these days is a lot more about who you are and what, um, how you present yourself mm. in person and on social media than it is actually about your race results. Um, I don't know so, if good or bad. I'm like, hold on. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's not, I mean, I'm not a massive fan of social media, so I find it quite difficult um, in that sense. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I still get really nervous and get kind of snappy and um you know push away the people that are trying to help me in those moments but I think the best way that I know to cope with it is just to reflect on previous events that have gone well and Mm. think there is no reason that this event should go badly because you have a history of x amount of events that have gone well you know you can do this you put in the training you just have to go there and, and see what happens and in the end if you don't do well in this event, it's not the end of the world. It doesn't really matter. That's a nice way to think about it. If only it worked. But <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> All right. So, so you you get to the end of of for for the time being your triathlon on stuff. Mm-hmm. What what does Holly do next? What does Holly? Well, do? I thought I would just do sport for fun while I finished uni and did whatever because I was trying to balance professional triathlon with a full-time uni degree and I was working two or three jobs at the same time Um, yeah this is a bit of a theme in my life Um, and all all of those jobs were I was instructing fitness classes and aqua aerobics and all that sort of stuff so it was very physical so I was exhausted all of the time Mm. Um, and I was commuting by bike and just yeah, so, so active, doing far too much. So I thought I would just lay off, finish my uni degree, focus on that, and then who knows what, you know, when I finish study, maybe I could pick something up again. But um, I happened to fall in with the wrong crowd, as in and when I say that, it was um, some elite female cyclists in Adelaide and they dragged me into the fold and uh, forced me to start racing as a as a elite cyclist horrible people who do we report them (laughs) to (laughs) well they are michelle because i stopped running from that point on oh they are horrible like i said yeah (laughs) there must be some people who can deal with that um (laughs) unbelievable Uh, yeah so i went um cycling i probably did four or five years um, where I started off really um, in the state circuit in South Australia and then went into the National Road Series and did that as an individual for a year or so and then um, progressed into some teams and then to some better known teams and then stepped back just doing state stuff mm-hmm. in Queensland. Um, they had a pretty good uh, road series in Queensland as well. But then when I moved to Darwin, it wasn't really practical to continue on with cycling from there so that was the end of that so um what were you studying for a start i studied nutrition and dietetics yep so you finished that in Mm -hmm. adelaide or queensland or between or whatever yeah i did two years in adelaide and then i finished it up with two years in queensland okay Mm. It, it does seem strange to me that most people either start as swimmers or runners then go to triathlon you seem to have gone like I don't know, <laughs> sailing, running, triathlon, or maybe it was sort of triathlon, but then kind of, and then cycling. Yes, <laughs> like it's a very strange evolution. <laughs> yes. Like, this feels a bit, and yeah. now no, I know that you're running now. Though. It's like, again, yes. It's like, it's running at the end. Don't want to, it's um, gone back it to and anybody. forth. 
<laughs> yeah, I think it depends on, um, you know, whenever I get injured or something, I move to a different sport. And when I get injured doing that, I move back to a, a different sport. <laughs> I suppose if you've got lots of different sports you're good at. So that, mind you, have you, have you done anything swimming wise? No, Indiv- not really. Individuals. <laughs> no. Surprised. And that's to come, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't think so. I really don't enjoy swimming. I only ever did it because you needed to do that to get to the bike. Duathlon? <laughs> yeah, people have proposed that to me. Maybe in the future. You don't have to get wet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> unless it, unless it rains, of course. Um, <laughs> I suppose I was thinking about it when you were talking about all the pressures of all the things that you were doing while you were also mm-hmm. studying, at least if you move move from a multi-sport to a single sport, that is only one sport you're doing. Yes, that's true. Yeah. And that should feel like less work, shouldn't it? Should. But I think when you focus on that one sport, you probably do as much time as you would devote to three separate sports, but all in the one plus probably a bit of gym work and that sort of thing on the side to support that yeah. sport. And I think with cycling too, there's all the extra bits and gear and stuff that come with it. So it's not, you can't just put on your shoes and go for a run. A little bit like swimming, it's pretty hard unless you've got your own pool to say, I'm just going to go for a swim for most people anyway. They have to get in the car or whatever, find a way to get to the pool or to the beach or whatever. So, yeah, it's interesting. So that all that takes time too, doesn't it? Not to mention the pressure of the, you said you were, you were doing elite uh cycling so that yes yeah time. which was yeah pretty time consuming you need to be riding 500 k's wow. a week uh, roughly to um to compete at that level so yeah it's still pretty time consuming when you look back what's your favorite time with your cycling oh when i was living in adelaide the, the cycling in adelaide is second to none it's just mm-hmm. amazing the hills and the the access that you have if you live anywhere near the city it's 15 minutes ride and you are out in these beautiful hills just so scenic so many different ways to go um, you can lose yourself out there for a whole day and and the hours just roll by so quickly it's not a chore doing it that way um, whereas sometimes you know I've also cycled when I've lived in Brisbane and mm-hmm. you know you spend so long trying to get out of the city fighting with all the traffic the smells the noises the traffic lights um, it's just not as pleasant but um, mm-hmm. in the Adelaide Hills yeah just loved it that's gorgeous oh you make me want to get my bike out <laughs> <laughs> do it yeah it's the same in Tassie it's this beautiful riding in Tassie too just a little bit chilly in winter yeah it is a little chilly in winter I agree <laughs> all right so you go from Westminster uh, sorry from Queensland over to Darwin what made you go to Darwin what got you over there <laughs> so it's an interesting story uh when I was finishing up uni we were getting told by the lecturers that none of you will ever get job in di- dietetics because there are hundreds of you graduates and there's only a few jobs so you should probably apply for any job you could possibly okay. do uh-huh. which is exactly what you want to hear when you've just spent 40 grand on your hex debt um, oh and four God. years of your life getting a degree. Mm. So um, I did my final placement for my degree up in Darwin and I just loved Darwin. I met some great people. I loved the weather and I thought, well, I'll have a look to see if there's any jobs on the go here. And I was looking for dietitian jobs in the government, but because I was on the government website, the uh, job for the fireys popped up. Um, uh, so uh-huh. I applied to become a full-time firefighter. And um, 
by the time I'd graduated from uni and I actually got a job straight away in private practice in Brisbane in a really reputable private practice that services a lot of the big sporting teams up there, which was exactly what I wanted to do. But then I got offered the job in the fireys and I thought, See, this is probably an exciting opportunity that I can't really turn down. So I worked for six months as a dietitian and then I left and moved to Darwin. No way. You became <laughs> a firefighter? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. I didn't see yeah. that on Strava at all. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no. So no. what was tell me what that was like? My gosh. Oh, um, different. <laughs> uh I started, um, I was in a squad of 24 recruits, which was the mm-hmm. first time they'd ever done 20, an intake of 24. They usually do 12. Um, so we were a bit of a guinea pig squad and things mm-hmm. didn't didn't go very smoothly for our six-month recruit course. It was, it was a bit of an adventure, um, but, you know, such an adjustment, adjusting to the heat and humidity and, um, yeah, it was it was pretty good fun I met some great people and yeah we spent I think five months on recruit course and then we went on on shifts so we were working um, you work two day shifts uh, and then two night shifts and then you have four days off Um, so it's a pretty good lifestyle really yeah and how long did you do that for uh nearly four years wow yeah I just feel little Imagining you throwing someone over your shoulder, taking them out of a burning building. How does that work? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, look, I'm sure a lot of my colleagues in the fire service had that uh, worry as well, but I'm pretty strong for my size. I imagine uh, you're very strong, actually. Yeah, you say and, uh, yeah, in terms of all the fitness stuff we did on recruit course, um, yeah, I turned out to be one of the stronger people in, in most of the things and be able to beat most of the guys, which was pretty cool. Yeah, go get your power. Um, <laughs> I have like, I feel like I've heard on the radio, you know, different forces, including um, including firefighters have some sort of sporting competitions and things, you know, where whether it's, I don't know, is forces the right word? I don't think it's the right word, but. Um, you know, like the police and the fireys and the paramedics maybe or whatever um, all have some kind of sporting um, competition amongst each other. Yes, they do. They have the police fire emergency services games or whatever it's called. Um, Yeah, I never ended up going. I think right in the middle of when I was working for the fire service, it was Mm -hmm. COVID um, and so it was cancelled. And then, yeah, I think there was meant to be one in Wollongong last year but yeah didn't end up making it so it was on my agenda to do but (laughs) got plenty of other competitions to to do so it's all right (laughs) so so you're in Darwin um doing quite a physical job and a job Mm -hmm. that I believe requires you to stay quite fit Mm -hmm. um what did you do in your sporting world so you're no longer having to study maybe you were studying what were you doing (laughs) uh so you'll probably laugh at this but uh because you have so much time off in the fire is most people get a second job so I got a job as a lifeguard so I was working um yeah a bit of my days off as a casual lifeguard and then I also decided to study a graduate diploma in psychology so I was doing that by distance education (laughs) because you were bored yeah exactly um I dabbled in triathlon again for a season I did a like a season of the sprint distance um 
uh, events with the club up there. Um, what else did I do? I did a bit of everything, to be honest. I did some adventure racing. I did a bit of mountain biking, um, did a bit of cycling um, and a little bit of running. I went down to Alice Springs twice and did trail runs um, in Alice Springs. So that yeah. was cool. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Do people ever say, Holly, do you know how to stay still? Yeah, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right. Are you still a firefighter? I am. So now I'm an on-call firefighter. So um, in the town where I live now, they don't have full-time firefighters, but they yeah. do have a station for the Metropolitan Fire Service, mm-hmm. but all of the firefighters there are on-call. So we go once a week for training and then we just get paged if there's a job and if okay. we're free, we turn up. So a bit like SES, I suppose, how I imagine SES. Yes, except for we get paid and the SES doesn't. <laughs> Oh, well, that's good. That's good for you because you've done a lot of work over yeah. the years, most of your life where you've, yeah. you know, especially when you're training for, for teams and different events and sports and stuff where you don't get paid. So it's kind of nice. Exactly. It is good. Well, it's very nice. <laughs> so why did you leave Darwin? What happened? Oh, well, if you want the honest answer, my partner and I both lost our jobs because we didn't want to have the COVID vaccination. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's yeah. very honest of you. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, this is a whole thing. I mean, I don't want to get super controversial, but there's a yeah. whole thing in the news. Someone put that up. Actually, might have been on Facebook, but it was referring to an article where someone had lost their job during COVID and then they'd taken whatever agency or whoever they worked for to court and they were getting their job or being reinstated and getting paid back pay and all that kind of stuff. So, hmm. yeah, so there was nine of us in the fire service that oh, wow. lost our jobs and two of them have been reinstated with back pay. So, oh, there you go. So, yeah, we're um, wow. just waiting to see what happens. But, yeah. So, so you lost your job. Yeah. When was that? Uh, December last year. And you decided to leave Darwin. Yeah. So they had a statewide mandate. So basically you couldn't work at all in the NT if you didn't oh, wow. have a vaccination. Um, so we didn't really have a choice. I mean, we could have stayed around and lived on our savings for a while, but you know, how long we didn't know if it was going to go on forever. So we felt like we had no choice and, um, yeah, came down to South Australia to my partner's hometown and we thought we'd stay here for a bit and figure out where to go from here. And we just have never left. You haven't left? Well, at least yet. That sounds like it was, what, about a year ago then? Exactly, yeah. So actually we left on my birthday last year, which was this Saturday just gone. So we just oh, happy birthday, celebrated. Love. Thank you. Yeah, so it's it's basically 12 months to the day that we arrived here, which is pretty wild to oh, think wow. of everything that's happened in the past I year. I think the last two years with COVID and everything, it has been very surreal for many people. Like lots of stuff has happened Oh, different yeah. things. It's been like previous. It's weird. It feels like we rolled on from the Trump era and then we rolled into this kind of COVID thing, which kind of overlapped, I know. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's been like, one crazy thing after yeah. another. Like when you take into account the bushfires mm. and then COVID and now the floods, now floods which are yeah. about to impact us here as well. Oh, so, really? yeah. Oh. Crazy. So what are you doing in your partner's hometown, apart from being a an on-call firefighter? Apart from being an on-call firefighter, I've actually gone back to using my dietetics degree. 
what <laughs> yeah so I've got two jobs well I'm running my own business so I started this up while we were in Darwin on the side um basically just to see sports people mainly yeah. um and it's evolved more into a general sort of dietetic practice mm-hmm. because there's no other private practice dietitians in this area so I'm getting all the referrals from the local GPs um, and then I do three days a week in the next town along um, in basically working in community health. So people come to you like you, they're in-person um, yeah, appointments? Yeah, a bit of a combination. Yeah. I'd say um, in my private practice, it's 95% in-person mm-hmm. and a little bit of telehealth. Um, and then in my job in community health, we service a really large area of South Australia most of southeast and um, eastern South Australia. So mm-hmm. I do a lot of phone consults with older people and then some telehealth with people that have the, yeah. the capacity to be able to do that. Wow. That's mm-hmm. just, oh, look at that. You've got, yeah. you've got a little professional career going on and then your little professional <laughs> firefighting as well. And, it's, yeah, it's a bit too much going on. Still fit in running and, um, and doing well at that. So what is that side of your life look like we've worked out what you're doing professionally yeah the running <laughs> yeah what are you doing, <laughs> are you doing when you're in your sports side um well I've got a bit of an ambition to sort of make a go of ultra running and trail running now um why is that Holly well as <laughs> you know I've always wanted to be a professional athlete and it's just never really happened or yeah not to the level where you're just basically doing the sport and mm and not anything else really um and I just have kind of figured out in the last year or two that I'm reasonably good at this trail ultra running thing and um having seen that around the world there's a lot of people becoming professionals in their 40s and even 50s I feel like maybe this is the last frontier that I can conquer at my advanced age of 34 (laughs) oh you're so old stop it (laughs) My oldest, my oldest um, child is about to turn 31. So. Oh, really? There you go. <laughs> you make me feel Crazy. so old. Yeah. <laughs> You're not old. Yeah, I think yeah. You. I, that's why I said that. I wanted you to tell me that. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so, so the idea is that you're going to, or that you would really like to explore where ultra trail running can take you in, in the yeah. form of, of becoming professional at it. Well, hopefully, or at least partially supported. Um, you know, I'd really like to travel a bit and do it. And obviously that's pretty expensive and requires a lot of time of off work. So, um, yeah, I don't know what the possibilities are, but I feel like it's worthwhile exploring. It's interesting because I think the the model for how people make money now in these areas it's changing. Like, you know, when, even when you first started, which actually in the scheme of things, wasn't that long ago, <laughs> you know, in your, even when you were 17, really wasn't you know, half your life ago, perhaps um, or less. Um, it was, you got sponsored by, you know, a company or a business or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe you got some grant money from the, the government, that kind of thing. But these days it's, it's even, you know, the ability for the internet even to be able to give you outlets to mm-hmm. to finance what you're doing while still in some way practicing it, whether it's coaching or some other kind of thing or creating information products. And when you cross, because what are you? You're a journalist, a firefighter, 
dietitian <laughs> in your only early 30s. <laughs> oh my gosh, so much that you could, you know, spin those things together and create something pretty crazy. Um, if you wanted to, because that's the world that we live in, which I think is awesome, you know, with the whole, the internet and yeah, maybe that's half the problem. There's so many opportunities. I think so. It's really hard to narrow down what do you actually want to do um, yeah. and to, for me to focus on one thing because obviously I like to do lots of different things all, all at the same things. time. So if I actually sat down and concentrated on one thing, I probably could make a go of it. You but... could. <laughs> yeah. But you might be bored. Um, probably. <laughs> you were just doing one thing. Um, okay. So what does your training look like now? Like do you have like big goals that you put out there and you think, I need to run X kilometers each week or whatever. Do you, do you work like that? Is that how you? Yeah, a little bit. So I'm just about to sit down and plan out what races I want to do next year. Yeah. Um, but basically I've sort of been going from one event to the next um, this year. Uh, yeah. Been a bit spontaneous. I would say I've, I just find things and say oh I want to do that that looks good um and then I'll build up my own training plan working towards that so just most recently um I've done a backyard ultra my first one and my goal in leading up to that was to consistently be running 100 k's a week and I managed that for five weeks um before the event so yeah yeah that was was training for that so that well we can talk a bit about that event so that event um Tell me the name of that one. The name, it's very aptly named, Hysterical Carnage Backyard Ultra in Loxton, South Australia. <laughs> and um, so you had, what was your goal going into that? What did you want to achieve? Well, if I'm honest, my goal was to win it because no female in Australia has ever won one before. So I would love to put my name down in the record books as the first Australian woman to win a Backyard Ultra. That would be amazing. How many of them are, like I didn't, as we talked before, I didn't even know what they were until people kept coming on my podcast from Western <laughs> Australia talking about them. <laughs> yeah, no, I only I only came to the realisation that they existed about 12 months ago myself. Um, there's about a dozen in Australia now. It's, it's really growing quickly and I think it's probably going to be the next big thing because it's so inclusive. People can do it no matter what level of running they have. Mm-hmm. And it's such an atmosphere at the start-finish line. Um, it's just like a little village, of, you know, this community of people that love running. Um, and I, I really think it's going to be the big up-and-coming yeah. thing. And, it, you know, we uh, I was involved in a couple of ultra track ultras here yeah, years ago. Yeah. And so they were kind of fun but a little bit boring when you're just doing 400 <laughs> <Yeah>. metres. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> There's something a little bit more exciting about a 6.7 or whatever it is. Which yes. Is a bit more varied. Yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of them have a daytime loop and a nighttime loop. So they might have a trail loop in a day and then they have something that. simpler at night just for yeah. the runner's safety. Yeah. Um, so, That's a good yeah. Idea. So yeah. Um, how did this race unfold for you? This first <laughs> ever one that you've attempted, how did that go? 
Yeah, so it was a long time in the planning, uh, obviously a lot of training, but also in the preparation for it. Um, I watched a lot of videos on Backyard Ultras, listened to a lot of podcasts and uh, got lots of ideas and we spent a lot of money buying all the equipment that we thought we would need. Um, And we finally got to the start line. It's set in a caravan park, so it's really convenient. You've got the amenities block just adjacent to the start-finish line. You set up your individual gazebos. You have your whole setup there with, like, a camp bed or a chair or, you know, we had fans. We had everything on the go. Um, And, yeah, it started on a Friday morning at 10 a.m. It was quite a hot day, um, sunny and hot, and that actually – changed the course quite a bit from the original because because we're having such a high river level with the Murray River here, um, it's actually flooded a lot of what was the original course. Oh. So um, the course starts with uh, what they call the stairway to heaven, which is 150 stairs up to the top of a cliff. Uh-huh. Uh, and then you run around a bit on the top of the cliff and then you come down a hill and you do some more trail and you go through this thing called a historical village, which is like a little replica of how the town would have looked a hundred years ago. Um, it's pretty cute. It's pretty wow. cool. And then you run back to the, the start line um, and you just do that over and over again. So my plan was to come in on about 44, 43, 44 minutes of mm-hmm. each each lap so that's not a particularly fast pace that's about six minute 40 k so the strategy is that you walk up all the hills um, and then you jog in between Um, and one of the challenges I guess is to to stay very steady at that pace because it's so much easier to run faster than that especially at the start when you're feeling fresh um, but it will catch up with you in the end if you if you go too hard so um, yeah I was really consistent on that pace um, until we had we had a thunderstorm at about lap 25 mm-hmm. uh, where the course kind of flash flooded, a bit of swift water going on, running through like knee-deep water, uh, lightning. That, we're not supposed to drive through floods? <laughs> yep. I was thinking that if it's flooded, forget it. Um, <laughs> but, no, the race had to go on and, um, uh, yeah, there was only uh, about eight of us left by that stage. And then we saw a couple more drop out. Um, I was really lucky because being essentially a home event, it's only half an hour from where I'm living now. So we had so many people come over and support, cheer, you know, bring signs. And they were so great. Um, And then, yeah, got down to the final five and we um, reached that 30 and we were sort of running back to the finish line in another thunderstorm with lightning cracking all around us and, um, you know, pouring rain, whatever else. And they said, look, we're going to postpone the race for an hour and then see what happens. Uh, and then somehow or other, about 10 minutes later, the race director was on the PA saying it's not safe for the runners to go out again. We've decided to cancel the race Whoa. from here. And that, that was it. Wow. Like mm. I, Not that I'm a big watcher of backyard ultras or front yard ultras apart from the fact that I know that they exist now um but do they cancel very many of them is that is that a common thing I don't that's the first one in Australia I don't know about the world but it's certainly the first one in Australia ever to be cancelled wow Mm. but you were in the top five 
Yeah, yeah, I was, which is great. And everyone says, you ran 200Ks, like what an amazing achievement. Mm -hmm. And you were alongside some of Australia's best backyard ultra runners. Mm -hmm. And yes, apparently I am the third female in Australia to ever run 30 laps on their first backyard ultra. Mm -hmm. But I guess there's still a level of disappointment for me because I don't know how far I could have gone. And I'm really confident that I could have gone quite a bit further how did you feel at the end? Like, I don't mean that it was cancelled. How did your body feel after that 200? <laughs> it's funny. I went through a really tough patch from about lap 25 or 26 to about 28. Mm -hmm. um, I was starting to get a bit of ITB pain in my knee, um, really tight hamstrings and sore knees. And then one of the girls who had been competing in the race, who's a Bowen therapist, mm -hmm. she actually came back to the race site and decided to be my personal masseur wow. in between each lap. I know, isn't this amazing? And she completely cured me of my ITB pain. I don't know how she did no. it. It was like magic. <laughs> but on lap 29, so this is coming up to run, we've been running like that's 180, 190Ks. Wait I ran a 41-minute lap and I felt like it was lap one. Wow. So I was actually feeling so good when they called off. And that's, I guess, probably one of the reasons I was so disappointed. Like, oh, <laughs> oh, well, when is the next one that you're uh, Well, they are, because there are a number of them in, in mm. Australia now, I think the next one's probably in February, but I haven't 100% decided which one i'm going to do yet there's apparently a master's one in june which is not masters for old people but masters for you can only qualify if you've run 24 laps before and you get a free entry if you've run more than 35 so it's supposed to be a bit of a best of the best sort of thing okay um so i'm going to try and get an entry into that one i think oh awesome well that will be exciting oh, yeah you let us know how you go yeah i'll probably have to race phil gore oh yes who has been on the podcast <laughs> yes I think everybody I've spoken to from Western Australia is a backyard ultra runner yeah funny. yeah well several of them came over there was a quite a crowd of them at this race that I did in Loxton I think that's probably where the two original ones in Australia were held and I think so they've been doing it for a few more years than everybody else maybe yeah so it's got a bit of a an established over there hasn't it yeah I think yeah. so <laughs> it's really fascinating um yeah so what other kind of races when you come to ultra trail so you just a long distance in the trail because not just backyard ultras <laughs> no that's right I, I want to try all the different formats mm -hmm. uh, I do want to try one of those track ones that you were mentioning yeah um I yeah I think it will be super boring but I'd like to see you know if I could do something a little bit faster um, so I'll probably try a 12 or 24 hour track race in the yeah. next year or so. Um, but also point to point ultras. So I just did my first hundred K a few months ago. Um, and I just love that. That was amazing. So probably a hundred Ks, I might even go up to a hundred miles potentially yeah. in the next year or two. Um, but that's probably it for for now you know maybe one day I'll look at doing those insane 200 mile ridiculous races but for the moment I like to focus on um yeah about 100 k's I think that's a good distance yeah. well that's exciting so what will your training look like for that kind of distance um so I'll go back up to trying to get into 100 k's of, of running mm -hmm. a week um yeah. so that would probably look like um 
I probably have a long, long run on the weekend of about 30 Ks, 30 to 35. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have two speed runs during the week. So okay. interval training, whether that's sort of longer, like four to five K intervals, or I'll do some shorter stuff as well with like mm-hmm. 30 second or a minute hard efforts. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, some other easy runs um we don't have any hills here in in the town where I live which is really unfortunate um that's the flooding <laughs> that's, why, that's yeah. why you're a bit um prone to the flooding I suppose yeah exactly and all the trails that well not that we have many trails here but the trails that do exist are all underwater now so um we'll try to probably go down to Adelaide a lot more regularly and try and run on some of the trails there just to get a bit of elevation and mm. a bit of trail stuff because you really sort of miss the technical aspect of trail running when you're on the road all the time um so we'll try and go down every fortnight or so and do the long runs in the hills um and then I probably keep in two to three bike sessions a week so Mm -hmm. that's sort of like base fitness without putting the impact on my body so much uh and then I'll do two gym sessions a week so that's um leading up to a race it would be really specific running strength and core strength stuff so single leg squats and bridges lots of glute work anything Mm. that I think is just gonna work my stabilizer muscles and um, help me um, keep my form strong for for long races and that's why you're a really good athlete (laughs) I'm thinking (laughs) feeling really tired (laughs) yeah I think at the at the most it probably works out to be about 16 hours of training a week so Mm. yeah it's a fair bit when you're working and, and all that sort of stuff. It's like before work and after work and how, on the weekends. How do you fit it in? Like how do you fit that in when you're now, well, like as you said, you've got a job and a half? <laughs> yeah, well, I've got my own business, then um, two other jobs, and I'm also doing a master's degree. <laughs> holy, holy, um, holy. So I, I don't really do, I don't do much social stuff other than like if I'm cycling, I'll cycle with a bunch of people that we Lucky you've got a partner. You've got someone else you can talk to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I try and drag him out training with me because otherwise I'd never see him. Um, uh, I, I don't really do things like watching TV. I do a little bit of reading, but a lot of that is probably uni reading, like not fun <laughs> reading and I really multitask which is probably not the most productive way to do things but any little piece of time I can use to to do something is uh, doing something like I might be listening to a podcast while I'm cooking but it would be a podcast on dietetics you know Mm -hmm. so I'm doing my CPD while I'm cooking or you know just yeah doubling up with everything yeah where you can (laughs) yeah yeah I feel like I need to ask you what you do for fun sport <laughs> does that count <laughs> of course if you're doing it for fun like I'm reading a book at the moment weirdly called footnotes Ooh, it. okay. it's, really, it's really good like it's about running um but yeah. he's an English he's an English professor in a university in England somewhere um, yeah. but it's all about running and running for pleasure or what he was talking about it that rather than always running either to lose weight or running mm-hmm. as exercise you know where it becomes almost a job in itself mm-hmm. but instead um have at least some of your runs where they're just for fun really and it's like yeah. for for leisure um people who don't run can't even understand how what do you mean running for leisure we run to catch the bus <laughs> or we run you know it's like yeah um 
but it's an interesting concept to play with in your head, you know, how do you, and for me, it'd probably be my runs that were for fun or other trail-y type of runs because I'd just yeah. spend time smelling the roses really and, yeah. you know, walk the hills and look at the view and maybe take yeah. my phone out and take a photo or whatever. But it, it's <laughs> that kind of, it's not, um, yeah, the, it's not really about the destination but more about the journey as, as you're doing it. So, yeah. uh, so running, so in, it's a long way around saying definitely that your running can be fun or not just running, but other things that you do your sport, but yeah, do you do anything else for fun? <laughs> it's not, um, that's uh, not sport. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> occasionally I hang out with friends and, you know, now that I've lived in so many places around Australia, I have friends everywhere. So we FaceTime and, nice. um, Chad and, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that's pretty much, pretty much it. Um, oh, that's, yeah. well, that's okay. You're obviously, yeah. it's obviously a big part of you, like that being able to move and and just keep doing things and achieving. You're very driven. Actually, that's the word I'm looking for. You're obviously yeah, very definitely. self-driven. Mm. It, it can be to my detriment. I think, you know, we don't really get taught how to listen to our bodies and slow down yeah. and rest and do yeah. those things like smelling the roses. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'm starting to realize more and more now as I get older, when I do need to take some time out and I don't mm-hmm. feel as guilty about it as I used to. Oh, um, but I think that's one of the reasons that I still do my own programming because I think if I had a coach, uh, I would feel really bad if I had to skip a mm-hmm. session because I do like to be, be that perfectionistic tick every box you know Mm -hmm. sort of person Um, but when I'm doing it it doesn't matter as much I don't give myself a hard time if I skip something (laughs) I can let myself down but not someone else exactly (laughs) is that weird (laughs) no I actually think as the older I'm getting that's why a lot of my running is now being combined with this mindfulness kind of movement and a lot of it is related to that and that we slow down I mean my mum's an art therapist and a big thing for her when I went through a marriage breakdown many years ago, she was like, what are you running away from? Because I actually ran more <laughs> while I was trying to deal with all that stuff that was going on, like a yeah. lot more. Um, <laughs> but I think it was my processing time and I was just mm-hmm. able to, you know, let things tick over and and work out what I wanted to do. Um, and I think and we don't we don't spend enough time just it's not even about slowing down. You can go faster and but still be really present in that moment rather than it being about getting somewhere, as we said before, like it's more of the journey. It's more about the journey and taking those moments. And they only have to be a couple of minutes or whatever here and there too. They don't have to be, okay, this whole run, which is the three hours, needs to be just, you know, smelling the roses. No, it doesn't have to be like that. It could just be a couple of minutes here and there where you notice something and you actually really notice it and take it in for a cup for a minute or two. And, yeah, you know, that, definitely. That could be enough. Mm. Yeah. I think that that is the key being present. And that was the thing. One of the reasons why I wanted to launch myself into this backyard ultra thing, because I've always been so focused on the finish line, you know, you're getting yeah. to the finish line, you're counting down how many Ks you've got left or how much time you've got left. But in a race where you don't know where the finish line is or when it's coming, mm. the only way to um, to be is to enjoy the present moment and, and yeah. stick with that, I think. So that was one of the lessons I was trying to get out of that race. <laughs> Now I'm thinking maybe that's not so crazy, this backyard. 
Yeah. You're teaching you me something. You Thank you. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> Why would people do that? No. no I'm like, oh, maybe that's a good reason to do it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. More about your actual training. When you're training, do you run with other people? So you said you run with your partner sometimes? Very rarely. His upper limit is 5K, so that's okay. a very easy recovery run for me. Yeah. <laughs> I would love him to run more, and he has the capability to do it, but he's actually a sprinter, so okay. 5Ks for him is like 35Ks for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, no, I don't tend to run with other people. I did a bit in Darwin, but here I don't really know anyone else okay. that runs, which is, is pretty sad. It's only a little town, so, yeah, um, yeah and I guess I – go at weird times you know because of my schedule yeah. um, I'm pretty spontaneous and it could be early in the morning or late at night or in the middle of the day it just wherever it works so it's hard to to work in with someone else do, but that's do you okay. have motivation problems ever like motivating to get out the door or is it is it just that's just so ingrained in you that there's this continual movement yeah so I have motivation problems with <laughs> like other things like work and things yeah. but I love exercising and sport so much that it doesn't feel like a chore. It's something that I want yeah. to do. It's yeah. like, I guess for, for some people, they want to watch TV or play a video game or something. Mm. I want to go and run. So that's yeah. what I do. <laughs> I, love, I love that. So yeah. when, you, when you're running, is that one of the times you listen to your podcast or are you like mm. a, a naked runner? Someone said that to me the other day. I'm like, what are you talking about? You went naked running. <laughs> naked runner I definitely don't run naked but uh but he was actually talking about he had uh he didn't have headphones. Yeah. <laughs> um I would say I probably wear my headphones more often than not now um and I do listen to podcasts but if I'm doing a speed run I will listen to music instead yeah. because I find it easier to run to that faster beat rather than someone yeah. talking um occasionally I'll run without headphones especially if I'm running with my partner um, and I think it is important to do that sometimes just to hear mm -hmm. the the nature sounds and that yeah. sort of things and um, yeah it's more if you're either on a really long run and you need something to help you pass the mm -hmm. time yeah. uh, or in a speed run to cover up your heavy breathings <laughs> so you don't realize how hard you're going <laughs> it's amazing how many people say that I don't want to hear my heavy breathing that's why exactly. I <laughs> But if uh, you probably looked at the literature on this and it is actually evidence-based that it reduces your rate of perceived exertion if you're listening to music. Well, I did not know that. Yeah. No, yeah I didn't. Did you know, talking about science and mm -hmm. running and, and flipping <laughs> all the way back to like study and stuff that yeah. and being mindful that when we are running, the things that are happening in our brain, it looks very similar to what happens if you are meditating. The oh, neural, neural pathways are being created very similar to what happens when you're meditating. So <gasps> you can, and you would know that you would plenty of times get into a state where it's just mm. everything's flowing. I suppose it's yeah. another way to, to put it sometimes. Yeah. Um, so when that happens, our brains are happy. <laughs> well, that explains why running feels so much like meditation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's yeah. fascinating. I love it. I just, I think more people should do it, obviously. Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I think that. Um, you talked earlier about injuries. Mm. So, um, thinking about when you get injured, how do you deal with that in your head? Cause obviously if it's an injury where you can't go for a run, for example, or whatever the sport yeah. is that you're, you're, you're reflecting on because you had a number <laughs> an injury might've stopped you doing it for a little while. Yeah. How do you deal with that? 
uh, with a lot of frustration because <laughs> um, it usually happens right in the lead up to an event, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess one of the reasons probably why I've ma- maintained so many different sports is that I feel like there's always something I can do to stay a little bit fit mm-hmm. when I can't do whatever it is that I want yeah. to do. So I just try to work around it. Um, you know, maybe it's even that you have to go water running or you can only do a few things in the gym. But uh, after you get over the initial frustration, you have to sort of look at it as though, what is this teaching me, this injury? Mm-hmm. Did I go too hard? Did I do something wrong? What can I learn from this? And what can I work on in the meantime that might make me stronger in another way or stronger so that I don't have this injury again? Yeah, I love that. That's very. That's like um, somebody who's been studying a lot and has had to think a lot about what's going on. Or who's just had a lot of setbacks and had to get over them in some way. Oh, I love that response though. Um, when, when do you think you would have called yourself a runner? I still don't call myself a runner. I can't believe you that. Say that. Like I did know that you. I had this inkling. Yeah. To say that. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Funny. I don't know. I think I have this perception that a runner is either uh, someone who only does running, mm. or someone who's a professional runner. Like I would call okay. myself a dietitian, and Jess Stenson, she's a runner because that's what she does for a job. That's her profession. Um, but yeah, even though I run, I don't see myself yeah. as a runner. And so do you think, can you perceive a time in the future where you would see yourself as a runner? Yeah, possibly. If I do get to where I'm hoping to go with ultra running, yeah. I think I will have no choice but to call myself a runner. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I don't know. I could still be just a person that, that runs. Yeah. And so how long do you think you'll run for in your life? What's your vision for that? Doesn't I don't well, mean competing or, you know, whatever, just running or... Yeah, I mean, as long as I'm able to. And I've always thought that I couldn't live without running. But then in those periods of my life where I have mm-hmm. gone away from running, where I was just doing cycling, I never thought I'd be able to do that. But I went for years without running mm-hmm. at all. Um, so, you know, if I was forced to stop running, <laughs> I know, it's sacrilege, isn't it? Um, I know that I would be able to deal with it. But if nothing happens to me to stop me running, I'll run until I'm, yeah, not physically able to anymore. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you think? What do you think drives you? What do you think it is that pushes you to do what you do? I don't really know, which is strange. You'd think you'd have to know in order to push yourself into the weird and wonderful events that I do, but. I don't know. I think I have um, a bit of a a perfectionist streak in me um, and I've just always, I guess, been an achiever, like always being rewarded for achieving things in sailing as a young person and and academically and all those sorts of things. And I think you get... um, I don't know, you get indoctrinated into that that good feeling of being rewarded, whether it's by an award or praise or yeah. whatever, um, the sense of achievement from being first or, or whatever it is. So you get kind of hooked on that and you just have to keep experiencing it. This is a this is maybe now it sounds like I'm, I'm psychoanalyzing you instead of me. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Which is quite unusual, but this is not, it's usually all about me. Um, so... <laughs> 
a lot of that's extrinsic. So it's outside mm-hmm. of you. When do you, when do you, when is it enough for you? Like when do you pat yourself on the back and say I've I've done an amazing job? Or like like a lot of things you've described, or when other people have, or yeah. other you know you've won a race, or you've done yeah. well at school, or you know, and other people have have recognised that, which was all awesome, and we all do that. But yeah. it's all very <laughs> that too. Um, so, but but sometimes it's interesting to look at you know what what do we need and, and when do we pat ourselves on the back about Yeah, I don't know. Probably not enough. I'd say most of us don't really congratulate ourselves mm. enough on the small wins. I think mm. um, when you've you've pushed yourself as hard as you can and you've done the best job that you can, um, that's all you can do and I'm happy with that. But I guess the reason I keep entering these longer and longer and harder, harder events is because I haven't really found the limit of where I can push myself to now. And I thought that a backyard ultra was a guaranteed way to discover that. Turns out mother nature had other ideas, but (laughs) I think that's where I will find the limit. Um, And I'm looking forward to, to, yeah, really finding out what that feels like. I I once heard um, a life coach say, um, you know, one of her goals was just to be an example of what's possible. And I thought that was a really nice way to describe what some of us who tend to strive for things, um, yeah. we're not always doing it just for us. It's kind of like a, an external thing as well. It's kind of it's hard to explain, but that kind of, you know, wanting to push your body, for example, um, and see how, what you can achieve um, is, you know, is drive, is a reason to drive for that in itself. Well, it's interesting you say that because I had a a guy um, who came up from Adelaide to support me in the Backyard Ultra as, um, you know, part of my my ground crew. Um, I didn't know him very well. I met him because I was volunteering at one of these events in Adelaide a few months ago and I was the tail bike rider. So I was a bit of safety and I was following around the last runner Mm -hmm. um, to make sure, you know, because it was in a public park and make sure they were safe. And so I got chatting to this guy because he was running last for a few laps and, you know, we got to know each other's life stories and whatever. And he volunteered to come and help me with my event. Um, And then afterwards he sent me this beautiful message and he said um, that he would really take a lot away from the experience of volunteering with me and that he, said that I was an inspirational person that, that would inspire lots of other people to reach their their best or whatever. And I yeah. thought I've never, I've never ever thought of myself as an inspiration. I, to be honest, I think of myself and my sporting achievements as a bit of a selfish um, pursuit in a way because yeah. it's all about me. But if that is is something that I can do by pushing myself is to inspire other people, then 100%, that's what I'm I'm in for. That's an awesome thing to give to the sport. I think that's awesome. I love that. And, you know, I, I've been thinking a bit about that word selfish as well over the last little <laughs> while. And it's, it's only like our culture that has developed a thing about it being a bad thing it's not a bad thing like you think about it if if we didn't look after ourselves even when you're in the plane if I it's an analogous when you're in the plane and they say if you've got a young person put the thing on your the gas mask or the oxygen <laughs> mask on your face first before you because it's yeah you know, and, and it can be a bit like that if you think about it like that isn't it it's, we've got oh. to look after ourselves yeah or you can help others and so if you can be an example and a light if you want to show the way and it's really cool. I love that. That can be a purpose all of its own. 
without yeah. think of it from the negative perspective of what we think of as selfish it's not yes that's it that's a good point yeah I like it thank you that makes me feel better about <laughs> pursuing my goals <laughs> well I love it I, I just think yeah and, and you know being an example of what's possible can work in any endeavor that you do too like that where you think you're you know chasing it for your own selfish things but actually mm-hmm. the reality is if you can achieve that and not many other people have before then you're showing other people the way if you like so be yeah. an example of what's possible yeah and absolutely that, that's so true mm-hmm. I hope I can have that effect on people well that's why you're on here young lady because you <laughs> have that effect on me I think you're amazing you just oh, um, thank you. always driving mm-hmm. and always pushing forward to just make me tired well maybe I should take some of your meditative advice on board and slow myself down a bit (laughs) even while you're running (laughs) you could do it while you're running you could do while you're running it's true that is true um let me see now I ask lots of people and again purely for personal reasons how many pairs of shoes do you run uh well I took six I took six to backyard ultra but two of them are probably pairs of shoes are that are a bit past their best. But mm-hmm. because I knew it was going to be raining, I thought it's better to have dry shoes than, yeah. you know, even dry shoes that are old. Yeah. Um, so, but there's probably four pairs that um, I'm rotating through. Yeah. Okay. So I've recently graduated from one pair of shoes to two. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> so don't you need road and trail shoes? Well, most I've got like a pair now that are hybrid. <laughs> okay, <laughs> hybrid shoes. Okay, I see those. <laughs> I want now a pair that are electric and. <laughs> <laughs> well, it can't be far away. We've got yeah. carbon salt shoes. The next thing will be battery powered shoes. That's it. I'll just be running. No, that doesn't. <laughs> or maybe the uphill bits. Some of the uphills. Anyway, we'll work on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, if you think about your running, Holly, how do you think? it's improved your life so if you hadn't run in particular how would your life be I'd be totally different I think I'd be such a different person um I think you're right it's that mental health aspect of it I think I'd be a very grumpy person Mm -hmm. a very irritable snappy person if I didn't have running and I just wouldn't feel as strong or as confident in myself like Mm -hmm. it's amazing what running does for your self-esteem and and just being fit I guess increases your self-efficacy or like you're feeling that you can do anything I guess I love that yeah that's how I feel about it too that I can do anything <laughs> because I run yeah I wish it was true but I feel like it is <laughs> yeah <laughs> what would be your number one favorite thing about running probably being out in nature and just the the scenery that you see and the places that you get to go that you would never go if you didn't run Mm. yeah yeah I love that too (laughs) I love exploring like you know those kind of exploring runs yeah that running tourism thing I think it's got um it's a good idea (laughs) definitely yeah getting around like that um (laughs) so is there anything about running that you think we should talk about before we wrap up that we oh, may, maybe haven't covered I think we've covered quite a lot haven't we it's um, and pieces yeah <laughs> uh, 
No, there's nothing that comes to mind. I think we've really hit on all the major aspects of running. All of the, all of the important bits and pieces. Do you have yeah. um, you have some social media whatevers that people follow you when you're being an athlete? <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to dietetics. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not particularly good at social media. As I said to you before, I don't love just having my face buried in my phone, but my partner does a pretty good job of keeping up the socials when I'm doing an event. Um, oh, so recently I've been using my work Instagram account, which is at MBB Health Coaching, because mm-hmm. um, so I'm trying to raise the profile of my business. So, um, yeah, and then I've got my personal Instagram, which is at Holly Rebecca, but nothing much goes on there. So <laughs> my work one, uh, which is also a Facebook page, Mind Body Health, okay. Health Coaching is probably the place to, to see what I'm up to. All right, because I'll, I'll put those on the uh, on your uh, with the podcast. On the oh, thank you! Awesome. And people can go check out what you're up to. And, and yeah, when I you definitely sign- need a bit of a, a boost of followers. <laughs> and when you sign up for that next um that next ultra, especially mm-hmm. back out ultra, you get lots of people cheering for you to tick off yes. many more six point seven k laps. <laughs> that would be great I think uh, my partner had a Facebook group going with you know our close friends and family while I was running and he was updating them every so often and when I'd come into the tent in between laps he'd say oh such and such says this and this person says this and here's a video of your niece doing this and here's somebody's dog sleeping on the bed (laughs) and it was just so great like it was you know, I just felt felt the love from everyone and it really helped keep me going. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I think dark, people dark. might underrate their support that they might offer in an event like that, but it actually goes a really long way. Oh, I love that. All right, well, we'll put that up there and we'll see what can happen the next yeah. <laughs> Thank <Ooh>. you. <laughs> um, okay, so before we wrap up, if someone comes to you and says, Holly, I want to start running, what would you suggest they do? Just start. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say just do what you can. Don't put any expectations on yourself. People think they have to go out and run for an hour or there's no point in going out. Wrong. You can go out and run for five minutes or you can walk for a minute and then run for a minute and then walk for a minute. And you can start with three minutes. Like that doesn't matter as long as you start somewhere and you be consistent and you keep on going. Um, and I think just doing what you want to do as opposed to what you think you should do or someone else says you should do um, because you have to enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, you won't keep going with it. And um, it's, it's when you put expectations on it, like I should go for an hour and you don't enjoy that. Well, that's when it's going to collapse. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I think just do what you enjoy and, and start where you are and be consistent. I love it. Yes. Perfect. Well, Holly, <laughs> it has been awesome to reconnect with you personally. Yeah, I've really too. enjoyed it. And I'm sure that everyone else will as well, because you are an inspiration, uh, not to mention, I just, I, as I said about four times now, make me feel tired with how much that you, you managed to achieve in a day. It's amazing. <laughs> Such a busy person um, and ticking off lots of goals. It's yeah. awesome to see what you're doing. So well done you. And thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Michelle. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to the Fit Mind, Fit Body podcast. I'd love to talk to you about your running journey. So send me a message on Facebook or on the website and let's do it. 
for a bunch of resources on mindful running that will help you get and stay mentally and physically fit. Head over to the website, fitmindfitbody.co, and I'll see you there. Plus, I'll be back here in your podcast player a few times a week. Hit subscribe now so that you don't miss an episode. And before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review. It'll help more people to find the podcast and get inspired to start running. I'll see you soon. Bye.